0: Now Playing Podcast is brought to you in part by OCP Communications. I thought all communication systems were the same. I tried to save the company a few bucks. It took two days to download specs from Cleveland. Lost the account. OCP Communications. The only choice. All Detroit has a cancer. The cancer is crime. We need a 24-hour-a-day police officer. A cop who doesn't need to eat or sleep. A cop with superior firepower and the reflexes to use it. It gives me great pleasure to introduce you to the future of law enforcement. You call me Robocop. This is now playing RoboCop Retrospective Series.
1: I like it!
0: Hosted by Arnie. This guy is really good.
1: He's not a guy, he's a machine. Jacob. If he just talked things out with people instead of
0: firing that big gun of his. And Stuart.
2: You're perfect. I must have you.
0: Their prime directives are served the public trust, provide detailed plot spoilers, and use harsh language. Bad language makes for a bad feeling listener discretion is advised oh yeah go get him boy
1: today we're discussing robocop 2 starring peter weller nancy allen belinda bauer dan o'hurley belton perry tom noonan and directed by irvin kirschner i'm arnie co-host of now playing but i don't know what i'm doing here it's late isn't this a school night (laughs) Stuart in la and this is your part man part machine all podcasting host jacob and here it is robocop 2 i mentioned how with robocop i didn't see it in theaters it kind of sounded cheesy the video got me but by the time robocop 2 came around i had seen robocop so often i was so excited for robocop 2 in 1990 there is no movie. I anticipated more than RoboCop 2. And I went opening night. It was still while I was in school and so I had the entire day to be crushed by these negative harsh reviews as I'm preparing to see this movie that night.
2: Come on, 1990, same year as Gremlins 2, Die Hard 2, Dick Tracy, and it was all RoboCop for me. Okay, all right. I I don't think that was true for me, but I didn't see- See it in theaters. I did remember it getting bad press, and that probably was a reason I didn't because I went to see a lot of movies that summer, but Robocop 2 wasn't one of them. I saw it on video.
3: And, you know, it was probably just around this time that I had finally seen the first one. I knew this was around. I didn't see it in theaters. I eventually saw it on videotape. The weird thing is, this is the one that I have the least amount of memories about. I think I've only seen this one once, a long, long time ago. And I can tell you the main plot points and the beats and all that, but not a whole lot of memory from this one. But I know Robocop was still a big deal. I mean, there was a Saturday morning cartoon, believe it or not.
1: How do you make that... Paul Verhoeven, ultraviolet, (laughs) X-rated movie into a Saturday morning cartoon.
3: The same way they did that with all the cartoons in the 80s. Rambo, yeah. Yeah, they changed bullets for lasers. (laughs) I mean, this cartoon, I went back and I watched a couple of episodes. It's awful. Awful animation, awful writing, awful everything. It
2: was done by Marvel.
3: Yeah, they actually had the comic license, too, for a while.
2: Thank God they didn't make an animated movie. (laughs) Thank you, turkey, for not airing it in the theater.
1: I'm sure I could splice it together and talk to a turk.
2: <laughs> Too late. We're on to RoboCop 2.
1: Here's the thing. This cartoon, the
3: opening, it was recapping the RoboCop story. You have him getting gunned down. Now, no, it's not as violent, but you see Boddicker like pulling a gun out, shooting lasers at him. I mean, I was pretty shocked. You know, I like violence, but man, no way that would get on the air these days. The 80s were a magical time.
1: Magical. You see, I think the appeal though is that RoboCop is something kids would be interested in. I said during the last podcast, he's kind of like a superhero. My initial thought was, was that why would a kid who was watching a Saturday morning cartoon be allowed to see Verhoeven's film but I now wonder if it's they're interested in Robocop the property so you give them this kidified watered down version so that their interest can be satiated until they grow older and can rent the movie
3: yeah I mean this was happening a lot then Stuart you said there was Rambo there was a Toxic Avenger cartoon I remember there was alien toys eventually there was no cartoon for it but
2: well they tried there almost was there was a test
3: Yeah, putting out kid version of R-rated properties was a thing for a while.
2: Yeah, and I definitely think that, yeah, if you were a kid and saw the poster to Robocop, you would want to see that. It must have been an internal struggle at Orion about how to proceed. You can actually see it as a subtext to this movie is whether or not they should make this for a kid's audience. There's actually a storyline that addresses that very thing here. It would have been very tempted to cut this down and make it PG-13 and get more money in here. It definitely would have made more as a more audience-friendly young adult movie.
3: Making it for kids
2: didn't end there.
3: There were the video games. That I remember. I remember there was an arcade coin-up side-scroller game that I actually loved a lot, but then there was a Nintendo game for it. I bought that thing, I loved it, but it was so damn hard, I ended up just getting frustrated and quitting. It was nothing like the arcade game.
1: I owned RoboCop after RoboCop 2 came out, when the NES was in its declining years, when Sega Genesis was out. I did buy that game, and I remember loving the concept, loving the guns and all of that, but much like the Batman game for NES harder than shit so yeah they were really trying to market robocop during this period i didn't know about the saturday morning cartoon in reading for this it lasted what 10 episodes or something like that
3: yeah about 12 episodes something like that
1: yes so i didn't see it on saturday mornings i was way too old for that anyway but i really was excited for this what I didn't know going in, and I don't think I realized it until very recently, were the behind-the-scenes names. All I knew was Verhoeven wasn't involved. Yeah, he was off doing Total Recall. So who did they get? Irvin Kershner. Now, I know a lot about Irvin Kershner. I've even had the chance to interview Irvin Kershner. This guy was primarily a teacher, and he was a teacher of George Lucas's. And when Lucas decided that directing was too much trouble... He went to his old teacher to do Empire Strikes Back, and then he had quite a few other films in the 80s. He did Never Say Never Again, and then here he is with RoboCop 2. On the one hand, it seems like a logical pick. He did the second Star Wars. He'd done effects. He proved that he could handle big-budget sci-fi. On the other hand, really? You're gonna get this old guy?
3: Yeah, these are the only two films I know from Kirschner is Empire Strikes Back and Robocop 2. And it was I think like you, Arnie, years later, you know, when I was a kid, I loved Star Wars. I didn't know who directors or producers, I just thought Lucas did them all. But yeah, it was a shock to find out the guy who did my favorite Star Wars film is now doing a Robocop film.
2: Your favorite
1: Robocop film, right?
2: Well, we'll see. <laughs> Doubtful. Yeah, I think he only makes sense in some sort of Hollywood on paper kind of concept. Yeah, well if he stepped in for Star Wars and he stepped in for James Bond, he can step in for RoboCop. Yeah, maybe, but he has none of the sensibilities that Paul Vorhoven has. I would have waited for him. Honest to God, I would have waited for him to finish Total Recall. That's how important I see that he was to this franchise, particularly now that I've seen the sequel. I mean, it's night and day. Without Vorhoven's touch, this world feels transformed.
3: Yeah, I find this one, whether I recommend it or not, I find this one academically, at least, fascinating comparing it to Vorhoven, you know seeing what Robocop would have been like without Vorhoven coming along well now we have Robocop 2 to discover that a lot of similar stuff but it all comes down to the director and the way they decide to shoot certain things or emphasize or de-emphasize certain things that makes this feel like a different film
1: yeah I still say that Verhoeven's touch is present there are so many things here that they do that try to emulate the first one I don't think we'll ever know what a Robocop film would be if Verhoeven hadn't gotten involved with the first one i think that mark is too deep but the second behind the screen's name which i wouldn't have even known until around the time of 2005 when sin city and 300 came out because i didn't follow comics but the writer is this fanboy favorite frank miller I know he's less favored now than he was then, but The Dark Knight Returns. Jacob, you and I reviewed that over on Books and Nachos back with our Batman Retrospective series.
2: Yeah, can someone explain to me the cult of Frank Miller? Because as someone that has only experienced his work in the movie forms, not a fan. Do not get it. Did not like 300. Did not like Sin City. Just did not like... His tone and just even some of the interviews he's given. He just seems like a rotten person. I don't get the appeal. He seems like a total pig.
3: Well, read Batman Year One and The Dark Knight Returns. I, I, really, that is what his career is built on. You know, whether or not he's had great stuff or good stuff after that, I think that's a little bit more debatable and up to the fans to debate, but those are two great works. You can listen to our reviews on Books and Nachos about those. Yeah, it blew me away when I learned that Frank Miller was involved with Robocop 2. I knew Robocop 3. I was a little more I knew who he was then. I was more into comic books and knew his name when that film came out. But yeah, this is one... I hear different things, that his script was used or it was trashed. I mean, Stuart, I, I get what you're saying. I, I think he really is someone you have to delve into to really get his appeal. And he has he a controversial figure, especially after 9-11 when he went ultra-conservative.
2: I'm not holding all of that against him, but it didn't help. Let me put it that way. Just in general, he puts out a vibe to me that feels... Icky, for lack of a better word. Maybe that's a good equivalent. If you're trying to find a seediness like Vorhoven, maybe Frank Miller is going to give it to you. Maybe that's why they went to the guy.
1: I think the difference is the sense of irony. When I see Verhoeven paint ugly pictures, I get the feeling he's doing so in a self-referential kind of way. When I see Frank Miller painting ugly pictures, I think he just hates us. <laughs> yeah,
3: he does come off as a cranky guy. and The reason he did end up working on this, Screenplay is there was a writer strike. And so I guess he was a scab. I guess that goes along with his ultra-conservative politics. So because of The Dark Knight Returns, because that was such a big deal, you know, that transcended the comic book world, and he became such a big name, that's part of the reason they brought him on to work on this script. A very violent comic. He's known for his violence. But I think you're right, Arnie. Someone without that sense of irony, it's going to come off maybe more mean-spirited.
2: I wonder if that's why we have this subplot about the striking cops, and they're the bad guys in this one. I did not know that he was a scab for a rider strike, but I did know that it wasn't the original riders. and again, like Vorhoven, I feel like they're missed here, but maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Arnie, I think you should get to the plot. I think we should get to RoboCop 2.
1: Despite RoboCop on the streets, Detroit has gotten even worse. Crime is rampant as men, women, and even children do whatever they can to get money for new designer addictive drug Nuke. Even RoboCop can barely stop the crime, especially since he's working alone, as Stewart said, the Detroit Police Department is on strike due to their salaries being cut 40% and their pensions being taken away by new corporate managers, Omni Consumer Products, or OCP. RoboCop's having personal problems as well, as his memories of his former life cause him to stalk his wife and child. But it turns out OCP is intentionally making the police go on strike and let crime run rampant so they can take over the city completely and tear it down and build their futuristic Delta City in Detroit's place. When the financially strapped city defaults on a single payment to OCP, the company plans to foreclose. But not everything is working in OCP's favor. Their attempts to build more Robocops have all failed, the human subjects going insane when their minds are put in a robotic body. OCP's new psychologist, Dr. Juliet Fax, theorizes that it was Alex Murphy's selfless sense of duty that allowed him to still function in the robot body, and she starts to look for alternative minds, criminal minds, to put into the next RoboCop. Her? When Nuke Lord Kane captures and dismembers RoboCop, OCP considers not spending the millions to rebuild their functioning cyborg, their only success. But in a public relations move, Fax convinces the OCP CEO to rebuild the officer with hundreds of new directives ordered to be polite and less violent. Which causes him to go insane. So Robocop fries his own circuitry to erase all the new programming. And now self-determining, Robocop rallies the striking cops to quit their strike and hunt down Kane. They capture the Nuke Lord, who is mortally injured in the chase, and Dr. Fax thinks the dying drug dealer is the perfect human donor to be put in RoboCop 2. Kane does survive the process of being put in the larger, more armed robot body, but his addiction to Nuke goes with him. Fax orders Kane to kill the mayor, dangling Nuke as a payment for a job well done, and tracking the mayor, Kane also kills the surviving members of his old gang. In a media presentation showing off RoboCop 2 and Delta City, Kane's desire for nuke overrides his controls and he goes on a rampage, until RoboCop shows up and, after a massive fight, RoboCop pulls Kane's brain and spinal column out of the robot and smashes it on the ground, saving the city as credits roll.
3: Interesting that you say he's saving the city, but I guess we'll get there. <laughs> you know, John Glover opens up this film. We start again with the satire, with this commercial, and going back to our Gremlins retrospective, I was shocked to see him here as this seedy car alarm salesman about this extreme, you know, shock you to death, but I guess we got a Gremlins connection now with RoboCop.
1: I mentioned last time how I went back and was like seeing so many members of the gangs for things I know later. It's amazing how watching Smallville has Made me realize how much John Glover worked in the 80s.
2: Alright, I'll be the first to say it. We get a joke commercial right up front, and it's the same style of jokes. Magnavolt, it's gonna fry any car thief and it won't run down your battery. We get John Glover smiling that ironic smile they always do on these TV interludes. Same jokes not as funny. i will got to agree, right from the get-go, it's clear Frank Miller and the writers that came in to fill, the scabs have not covered the wound. They are not doing what Vorhoven did in the last movie, even though they're going to try. I think you're a little harsh. I remember at the time, finding the
1: car ad where the guy gets killed very funny. Do you guys remember the old Viper car ads yes. that would have a guy breaking into a car and a holographic snake would come out and attack him? That's specifically What this was mocking
2: Yeah but it wasn't just about parody I mean the little bits and pieces Were part of the story And this is just a bit This is just a skit It's not as funny Arnie And it's not just this I mean we get media break next And yeah Lisa's back with Casey Wong And their stuff isn't as funny A nuclear power plant melting down in the Amazon And she's dismissing the environmentalist With some snarky line But don't they always complain Or something (laughs) That No, I disagree with that laugh, Arnie. Not funny.
1: (laughs) And I'm going to just say, I'll agree with you insofar as, is the knife as sharp? Is it as insightful? No. But it's still funny. I'm laughing.
3: Okay. I think you're not going to see that interconnectedness where you go from president in space with the gravitation going wrong to the space station blowing up later, killing presidents. You're not going to see that. But I still like the jokes. I still think they work. Yeah, there's not that tightness to them here. They still also use them as a... good source of exposition. We find out ED-209, well, now they're actually in five cities. They still suck. They're falling into manholes and flapping around. Which, here's the thing. In the cartoon I talked about in the first episode, they do this with the ED-209. They're traffic guards. They have red and yellow and green lights on them. And they start shooting up. It's nowhere near as violent in this film what they do with the ED-209 in that cartoon when it's monitoring traffic. But it's still, you know, it's telling the story. Okay, OCP, they're moving forward with that. This feels like a continuation Of the story we saw thus far
2: And we get our biggest plot thread Which is that the Surgeon General is assassinated For speaking out against Nuke And as soon as they said Nuke It all came back to me I popped in Robocop 2 I didn't remember a thing about it As soon as they said Nuke I was like, oh right The whole thing is like a crack metaphor And lots of scenes just came flooding back to me With the mention of the synthetic drug That was sweeping the nation here This is the storyline What I had forgotten was that Robocop did this first too We didn't mention it last time, but they already had a scene inside a drug lab here. So this is not even new territory that they're exploring in RoboCop 2. But it is where they're going to spend most of the movie.
1: Yeah, but last time it was cocaine, a real drug. This time, I remember just kind of bristling, even just at 15 years old, that they called the drug Nuke. I mean, I don't... It's just a little bit lazy there. Nukes were bad. It's a drug. As an adult, I laugh because I realize something my wife has contact lenses all these are are contact lens dispensers that they're pretending to inject themselves with the saline solution capsules they look the same today.
2: I don't know, there's something kind of gross about this drug. I think it's the fact that you stick it into your jugular that makes it all kind of icky. It wouldn't look like a fun drug to take. Something unsettling about it. It does look bad. Like a bad time. I think it looks better than
1: heroin. I mean, there's no (laughs) tourniquets. It was almost like a Star Trek injection. You know, they're barely putting a needle in them. If they had to get out a tourniquet like real heroin, I could never be a heroin user because I hate needles. But nuke, I could do nuke. (laughs) Here's what I find
3: weird we get this introduction to Nuke and you know with Verhoeven there's a lot of ideas and I felt they came together the satire the comedy all the subtext going on it works here this film we get a lot of ideas here's this first one we get Kane who is the leader of the new cult. So there is a cult built around this drug. Later on, we're going to see, I don't know if it's supposed to be Elvis's body that they dug up, but there's like this shrine and like a picture of Jesus and Mary and this Elvis. They seem to want to be getting at like these ideas that happened in the first film, the satire. Oh, we're going to have this drug, but there's going to be this religious cult around it or something. I don't feel that it ever goes anywhere. But this is where I start to see this one's just not as tight as that first film.
2: Yeah, I agree. Maybe this is going to be a cross between timothy leary you know the head of the whole lsd thing and crack i think it's probably topical but yeah it's really later in the movie when you realize that it's just sort of a device that it's disappointing it wasn't a great villain i feel like for robocop to fight
1: and tom noonan i love tom noonan we talked about him a bit with manhunter the guy's a chameleon every time i see him in a movie i'm like oh who is that guy again I forget that he's Frankenstein from The Monster Squad and the Tooth Fairy from Manhunter and the Ripper from Last Action Hero. And here, though, when I stepped away from this movie, because I don't know that I've seen this again in 15 years, I just always think the villain's John Malkovich because I think that's who he's channeling here.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, it's a cult leader kind of vibe. It's like he speaks softly and talks about this being a paradise. The drug is a euphoric kind of high. But obviously he's a bad guy, and if you didn't guess that... You would get it soon when we see him shooting an immigrant woman that is snuck into his limo. I mean, they don't take too much time for you to understand that this guy doesn't have a lot of shading. They don't
1: take a lot of time on anything in RoboCop 2. There is so much to do in this film. Everything's going at a fast clip. I mean, we're instantly, the way we're introduced to the current crime level of detroit this opening montage where you have a bag lady getting ripped off and then that person's getting attacked by what look like prostitutes who yes they're horrors <laughs> it's frank miller i expect no less who then <laughs> poke his eye out with their stiletto and then they have to run before they get caught and robocop though he comes into the middle of this and And he's immediately back on that police brutality vibe to find out where nuke is made. And I just didn't get that Robocop would be violent to investigate every crime. I thought he'd be violent to investigate his own death. But to pick up a perp by the nose, where do they make it? We got to get thrown into the deep end on this nuke thing because there's a lot more to go and this is just one minor bit of it.
2: Not only that, but these people are robbing a gun store. They're not selling drugs. So I don't know why Robocop would think they'd be a good lead. Because all criminals do drugs? I don't know.
3: But this first instance of violence, I like this escalation going from the bag lady to the mugger to the whores beating up the mugger. Like It does go on for so long that I feel it taps into Vorho i think it's the only scene of violence where they get that vorhoven feel though where it's just so excessive but yeah robocop shows up it feels like this almost goes in between somewhere in that first robocop film before he finds out there realizes he's murphy because he does feel like this is just an extension of that first montage we see him on when he becomes robocop when he's going to the convenience store and shooting the guy in the cock and you know the hostage situation yeah, it doesn't seem like he's developed
1: anymore here.
2: Well, first of all, he's got a new suit, right? It's all blue. It's an iridescence. I
1: actually like this suit a little bit more because from certain angles, it's like a purple. Other angles, it's like a silver. But its primary is a blue. It's very pretty. It
2: is pretty. It it is the kind of thing that makes Robocop look cooler, and maybe that's why I'm resistant to it. I don't think it looks as good. It doesn't look like Murphy is trapped in a cage anymore. It looks like he's found what he should be, that he's actualized, that Robocop is cool, and that all of what I was wondering about his mental state has been rectified here because, yeah, he has no trouble acting like a brute to get answers on crime leads.
3: What shocked me is that Lewis shows up to join him. I thought the cops were on strike, so she is...
1: She is. They actually yell that at her and kind of kick the car. She is such a good cop. You know, they talked about in the last movie, their chief said cops don't strike. And so she is such a good cop. Maybe they should have taken her brain to put in Robocop (laughs) 2. God knows it would have been better for her character, but she had the sense of duty to not
2: leave the job. Why does... Robocop need a partner I understand why Murphy needed a partner but this seems redundant she could only get in his way this is just uh you know they do it because they want to bring the characters back together we're not supposed to ask but uh, that's silly there's no reason why Robocop would be partnered with Lewis at this point
3: And I do, you know, again, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I felt like Verhoeven butched her up here. I think they've tried to soften her, feminize her. She's got a different hairdo, a more conventional female hairdo. It doesn't look as short. It's still a short cut, but it's much more flowy.
1: I'm going to diss Nancy Allen throughout this entire podcast. You say they try to (laughs) feminize her up. To me, she just looks like she doesn't care. Like, she's barely physical in this movie. In the last one she was like climbing ladders and doing all this investigation. Here she's kind of wandering through the halls. At one point she grabs a ladder and they quickly cut away lest she have to climb. (laughs) I I totally
3: agree. There are times where she delivers lines that are just so flat. I'm like do they just have time for one take on that? Was that like a practice take and they accidentally edited it in? (laughs) She's pretty awful in this film. No.
2: She's just giving you the Nancy Allen performance. I'm telling you Poltergeist 3 it'll make you shudder and not for any of the right Reasons. It's her intonations. She just she reads everything in flat monotone. Well, Verhoven got a
1: performance out of her that I liked. Yeah. And here, every time she's on screen, I'm wincing. She's barely on screen. That is the plus that they abandoned her character. They abandoned a lot early on in this film because they also, Stuart, when we ended the last podcast, you said you were very curious. What happens to Murphy now? What happens to his wife? What happens to his child? They're going to give you that answer very quickly and never come back to it again.
2: Oh, my God. The biggest blue balls in this blue RoboCop movie. (laughs) I was so excited. I can't tell you. No, seriously. I was so excited to see him, yeah, basically on stakeout outside his ex-wife's apartment. And she's concerned. She wants him gone. I think this is a great conflict. That they're bringing in the law, they're making him ask whether he thinks of himself as a man or a machine and wants him to stay away from her. I think this is great where did that subplot go? Why did we never get another scene of this? This should be the movie where we really feature Peter Weller. The first one was about featuring the world. This one should have been about Murphy. And I tell you what, he drops out of half of this movie. I forget that Robocop is in this movie once we hit the hour mark.
3: I don't know if he drops out that much. What I find interesting is they show his face much more. He doesn't have the helmet on as much in this film. We do get much more of Murphy. And thinking back to the one time i think i saw this film i thought this was a much bigger plot i was shocked watching it again that she comes in says nope i'm just a program i'm not your husband and that's the end of the story like Mm. there's no way that that is a satisfying resolution why even introduce this plot
1: yeah it's really blue balls is a great term for it by the same token i don't know how we can prolong it the ocp lawyer who's interrogating RoboCop, makes a very good point. What kind of husband can he be? What kind of love can he offer? What can he do but torment this woman every single day? It should have been the climax of the film instead of a throwaway at the beginning of the film. Murphy coming to the conclusion that for his wife's sake... He needs to leave her behind. He needs to do the sacrificial thing and put her first and tell her he's not Murphy, even if he is. It would have been a heartbreaking conclusion if the film built up to that and everything RoboCop went through made him realize... That that's what he has to do for her. But because they literally do it in the first 15 minutes of the movie, it's like, what the fuck? Yeah, Yeah, show me, don't tell me. Them not being compatible as a husband and
3: wife anymore, him as a man, that should have been shown throughout the film, not just told by a lawyer.
2: Yeah, I really wanted to know about the family. They could have had a storyline. Hell, the son could have been messed up on Nuke. They could have worked it into any plot that they wanted to tell in RoboCop 2. It needed to be there. It was what we wanted to know next about Murphy. But, you know, I seriously wonder how often Peter Weller was on set for this. I'm not kidding. I did a timing. And, you know, once he's torn up later in the movie, they give it all to puppets. I don't think Peter Weller is on screen for a good 30 minutes.
3: It is funny, he did not want to be on here. Way back when we did our Philip K. Dick retrospective, I went and saw him, they were doing a double feature of RoboCop and Screamers. And he was there to discuss them. And most of that discussion, of course, went to RoboCop and not Screamers, surprisingly enough. Thank God.
1: (laughs) I would have asked a Screamers question. I'm sure you would have. Arnie. But he said,
3: he's like, you know, Arnie, the last podcast, you said he comes off kind of full himself or douchey. That I don't know. I did kind of get that impression that he comes off as pretentious, at least, talking about the craft of acting and that, but... He didn't want to return to RoboCop 2 because there's no point in a sequel, but they added a zero to his check. So that's why he's here.
2: That's what I read, too, was the zero in the check. Yeah, and it's not like he would have been above doing Pulp. I mean, it's worth pointing out, in the meantime, what did Mr. Actor do with his RoboCop cachet? He starred in Leviathan, a bad movie about killer vodka that turns people into sea monsters, and some action movie called Shakedown that I saw that was a, a poor man's Beverly Hills cop. It's been 20 years, but I I remember liking leviathan it's bad it's bad 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 but he was finding his way this was his meal ticket he needed to do this in order to move on to more interesting things the work he would do afterwards i think of as being much more esoteric much more art he'd work with woody allen cronenberg he would eventually find that role for himself but i don't think that he needed to disrespect robocop if he didn't want to be there it's too bad it's reflected in the movie
3: You know, one of the things that really stands out with his performance in this film, and again, I don't know if it's him, I don't know if it's the editing, the directing, but his movements of course you have to exaggerate them so much because you're in this big heavy suit and we talked about how he took his mime lessons to prepare for that role but i don't know he had a fluidity he looked fine the way he moved in that first film here maybe because it's long shots maybe they stay on him too long they just look so exaggerated so this may sound weird robotic
1: i kept thinking c3po yes it's like he has no dexterity anymore There was just something different here. And I blame his mime coach. (laughs) You think the mime coach came back? I think the mime coach (laughs) came back because you said last time he didn't have time to move in the suit, so he just could move naturally. But here, he takes so long to knock on a door. It's like everything is... It's like mime. It is like when you see mimes do robots. That is what I'm thinking of, but it was like C3PO who can't bend his arms right and everything. Every movement was so deliberate it doesn't work as well for me his body language here feels wrong he feels like a downgrade
2: yeah I noticed the movement change as well I attributed it to the suit I thought maybe it just fit him differently he definitely does not have the same posture and the same stance and you lose something of the character in that way but again it's lost that quality anyway the last time as I've said before I felt like he was a conflicted character here the conflict for him comes later it comes when he is torn apart and is rebuilt by people who have ulterior motives but he at the beginning here other than this scene with the wife doesn't seem that conflicted at all
1: I think he is I mean I still think that this is holding that note it's certainly not adding to it but it's holding the note of am I a man or am I a machine and they're gonna follow that through and the first half hour they're just setting it up but the other thing that they set up like they did last time is OCP and OCP Robocop their shining success, and they say that it's been five months and $90 million since RoboCop, where they keep trying to make the second one. And this is a scene that I always found funny and gruesome, is the failures of RoboCop 2 that come out, the new bodies, none of which look as cool as RoboCop or ED-209, and one shoots himself and the other rips his own head off. I
3: do love that they call it just RoboCop 2. Like, I don't know, there's something in that that humors me. Like, it's self-aware that this is a sequel. Here's some some new RoboCop 2's that just aren't quite as sophisticated, but it's a sequel, so we got to change the look. You
2: know, this may be one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It got back into sort of the ideas and the sci-fi of this. Of, yeah, I hadn't considered how psychologically tormenting it would be to replicate RoboCop, and how that, yeah, you just have people coming out, shooting scientists and then themselves, or ripping the machinery off, committing suicide. super essentially. I think that that was a great concept. And, yeah, how are they going to search for the psychological profile for the right candidate for an upgrade i mean maybe if they'd called them 2.0 it would make more sense but i don't think they were quite doing that yet in computer world
1: or robocop 2000 in a few years
3: yeah uh, no i think in 2016 if the first one does well we'll get 2.0 i'd definitely go with that
2: yeah but i like the fact that they're trying to upgrade although they still don't even have a delta city yet they might as well go with what they got but they're trying to replicate the quote-unquote success of robocop and murphy and finding that there's no takers
3: what confuses me. There's a lot about this story that confuses me. One, I don't really get why they're trying to upgrade him. Is it just Robocop's working too slow to clean up Delta City? But more importantly, what the hell happened to the old man?
1: He turned evil.
3: He is a grumpy son of a bitch in this film. (laughs) He was kind of a nice grandpa in the last one. Now he's taken on the Dick Jones role. It's weird.
1: Yeah, he is definitely evil. Last time it was very much that he was more naive and bumbling but well-intentioned and here yeah he is very much the dick jones
2: i don't know i think he's smitten i think the real evil is the seductress woman it's the therapist right i mean this is a classic villain from the 80s and early 90s it's the psychotherapist that's going to come in here and provide the profile for the person that should be RoboCop, too. He's just doing whatever she says because she's sexy.
3: Now, Arnie and I were reviewing the comic that's supposed to be based on Frank Miller's actual screenplay. That was changed and rewritten. But, yeah, this is where you start getting into the similarities with what he did. And Frank Miller, you know, read The Dark Knight Returns, read a lot of his stuff. I think he hates psychiatrists. I think he had a bad session. He maligns them in, the, in that Dark Knight Returns book, and here he is again with with this Dr. Fax, who, yeah, is the real evil, I guess. If the old man's not bad enough for you, here's someone even worse.
2: I'm not even sure he really likes women, but if we ever do Sin City, I guess I can talk about that. But yeah, here, she definitely feels like she's the real evil. She's going to ultimately take all the fall. The old man's not going to suffer any of the consequences. I definitely think that, yes... Her and her psychotherapy theories, she's the one that screws up RoboCop 1, and she's the one that screws up RoboCop 2. She's our main villain. She is Ronnie Cox.
1: Mm, I think she's the devil on the shoulder, but the old man is the one who is conniving with the lawyers to foreclose on Detroit. Last time, Delta City just looked like something that was kind of going to happen but here it's revealed that in order for Delta City to happen they need to take Detroit out of the picture and the reason they're running the police office is because they know the city can't pay and again, much like real life Detroit is bankrupt and had to turn to private investors and one defaulted payment and then they have Delta City So that is the old man even without the psychologist.
2: And I get that. Yeah, that is what makes it seem nefarious, is that they're going to take Detroit by watching them fail. But on the other hand, you're not exactly rooting for the mayor here. We're going to find out that the city has been run incompetently. Could OCP do it any worse, quite frankly, than this jive-talking fool that they have as their elected official? Marvin Kuzak, better known as Harpo from The Color Purple. I love his performance of this.
1: What? Yeah, it is so over the top. Horrible! The worst one. I find him to just be astounding.
2: He's trying to out-dynamite Jimmy Walker. <laughs> In fact, his next movie is with Jimmy Walker. They were in some sci-fi movie called The Giver. I think it should have been called The Jiver. I mean, it's just (laughs) so much jive. I just, I can't go with it. It seems stereotypical and silly. Maybe it's funny. I'll give you that. This movie is light on laughs. Unlike you guys, I don't think anything that they're doing here is very funny. Maybe he's a little bit funny. What we really get is the sense that nobody knows how to run Detroit. And they didn't do it very fair and square, but I'm almost thinking that OCP should give it a crack. I mean, I I don't have any confidence that the mayor can run it correctly.
3: Except you find out that OCP did take actions to make sure they defaulted. Again, this is a convoluted plot. There are lines dropped everywhere. I don't understand a lot of the reasoning behind what happens. But OCP was working against Detroit. I mean, they reason they need to get control of the city is so they could basically bulldoze the ghetto, kick all the poor people out of town to build Delta City on top of it.
2: Isn't Detroit a ghetto in and of itself? It's hard to say because we only see the bad neighborhoods. It seems to me that it's not just about ghetto displacement. There's nothing to fix here. They have to start at square one.
3: They're gonna gentrify it, though. I mean, I think that's what they're really getting at, is they're gonna gentrify the city. These poor people are gonna be totally displaced. There's gonna be no place for them to go.
2: It's always a good bad guy having an evil landlord, and so, yeah, that's kinda how it plays. Yeah, so I think that we are meant
1: to see OCP as evil and the mayor is the good guy. At the end of the movie, the mayor gets up there and goes, what about neighborhoods? where, Like what we grew up in. And what about voting. These people didn't vote. Well, they can buy stock. They can't afford stock. You know, that we're supposed to root for the common man.
3: You know what? I think the movie is more cynical than that. It's showing everyone, you know, the corporations are evil, the government's incompetent. I don't think anyone really comes out looking great here.
2: Yeah, and I think that's in tradition of Verhoeven's world. I think that, as I talked about, the solution of the people that came in and saved Murphy after the criminals killed him uh, did him no favors, really. Everything is a negative in a satire. Everything is to be mocked, and I I see that the city government failing just as miserably as the corporate government just means that it all falls back to Murphy, or it should. In a well-written screenplay, it should be about Murphy trying to establish his law in a town of lawless crooks and con artists.
1: Should Robocop be running for mayor in the film? (laughs) I just like that Stewart said that he should be establishing Murphy's Law.
2: Yeah, well, I wonder (laughs) if that's maybe why they picked his name. I wonder about that, actually.
1: Well, in a cynical movie, there's one thing that I remember people just getting up in arms about more than anything else. And that is Kane's right-hand man, Hob. The child, 12-year-old. Yeah. The fact that he's a 12-year-old child, people were just really upset that they would portray a child as such a hard gangster. And the first time we see him, he shoots Robocop in the face because Robocop, in Hobbs' words, can't shoot a kid, can you, fucker? Yeah, you know what? I think
3: Robocop with Vorhoven, I think part of that was a study and bad taste pushing things over the top i think in robocop 2 we just get into bad taste realm i'm not saying that's a strike against it i think the taste is a little worse here it is more unsettling do i think it's brave i don't know if i call it brave but you know what we see you know if a film's a drama about drug abuse and we're seeing you know kids being awful that's supposed to be taken seriously and a warning to society but why can't you do that in a B action movie i you know what this stuff is going on there are children gangsters so on one hand i do kind of compliment it for that
2: i, I feel like you can do this but it's risky i think the tribe of people that uh pieced this together i feel like this was their way of dealing with a studio that was telling them to add more kids storylines And yet they knew in their hearts they needed to remain true to that evil spirit of the Vorhoven world. We're going to have a kid in here, and you're going to want to see him, but he's really, really bad. And it's not just like... He kicks somebody in the balls bad. I mean, he's got a machine gun. He lays waste to lots of people. He is a mass murderer. I love that he tries to garrote Lewis. Yeah, that doesn't make her look any good.
1: Yeah, that is a violent, I mean, that machine gun he has, it's almost like this homemade machine gun that he's flipping parts out. No, 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 no. That's not a homemade machine gun. That is an actual CIA weapon, the lunchbox machine gun. There you go. And there's a kid using it. And then he starts, yeah, he starts
3: strangling Lewis. Like, this is, I can see why this upset people. I do, I I applaud the film for going there.
1: You know what? I'm just going to say this. In 1990, two movies came out about kids committing violent acts. Robocop 2 and Home Alone. (laughs) Problem Child. Was that 1990 also? It was, yes, it was. Same summer. (laughs) I think that this one is a portrayal that is more respectful of children and showing them as competent. I mean, Hobb ends up running the drug business better than Kane. He's more sane than Kane. He doesn't think he's Jesus reincarnated. He's not going to dig up Elvis's corpse. So, I think that if you're going to commit to it, and they do for 99% of Hobb's screen time, if you're going to make him a badass criminal, make him a badass criminal. I mean, kind of goes back to when we were would attack the block and we were all surprised about the reveal of the main character's age
2: there, this is just a couple years younger. It's several years younger. I think he's 12. I mean... 12 versus 15, three years. To me, that's a huge developmental difference. But beyond that, I am also going to put it out there. We had this discussion when we talked about Kick-Ass 2, and I weighed in on the fact that I was uncomfortable that they ultimately wanted to sell... That it was cool that the child was a killer. I get that that can be a conflict, but I do feel like mm, if you're going to do it, it's precarious. And I think that you... Don't want to glamorize it for an audience that you know is sneaking in. Uh, young eyes are going to see this. I think we did. I mean, I think you have to be careful about it. And I'm not sure that the way that this is written is the way to go. I don't think I it's don't know glamorized if they glamorized it. it. Yeah,
3: I'm with Jacob. I, think- I mean, how many Hob cosplayers have you seen as
2: opposed to <laughs> a Hit Girl? Well, no one likes Robocop too, but uh, that's why. <laughs> No one wants to do their hair like that, is the real thing. No, he looks like a total turd.
1: (laughs) I don't think they glamorize it. I think no more glamorous than any movie villain. I don't think that they're giving kids something to aspire to, especially since... He's selling nuke, you know, it's it's hard to translate. If he was selling meth or crack, maybe it would be a little bit worse for me. But he's selling eye drops
3: Yeah, I think violence plays a very different role in this film than Verhoeven. Verhoeven, he wanted to make it comedic. He wanted so much of it that you become accustomed to it. You're laughing at it. Here, the way it is shot, the way Kirshner has decided to direct this film, the violence is very short, very sudden. It's almost more like real life, which to me, it comes off is a more violent film. It's not as glamorized. It's not as excessive. And what Verhoeven did where you're laughing at the violence here, the violence seems more shocking to me than
2: anything. Yeah, partly because I'm not laughing. It just feels more mean. It feels nasty. It feels like last time we made you laugh, and this time we're just going to make you feel queasy. I found all of this stuff, yeah, distasteful is a good word for it. It is just in bad taste.
1: Because it was Kirsch, I couldn't help but just keep thinking about The Empire Strikes Back. And how a lot of people say, and I'm one of them, that The Empire Strikes Back had the best human story of the entire Star Wars saga, all six films. And when I think of that, I think about how The Empire Strikes Back had two of the greatest action scenes in all of Star Wars. The Adats attacking on Hoth and the big lightsaber battle at the end. But really... There was a huge period of that movie where really nothing happened except they just talked. Han and Leia flirted on the Falcon. Luke talked to a puppet on a swamp. And in this movie, though, I get the feeling that Kirsch's attitude towards the way he does violence is still the same. It's very technical. It's we're going to shoot what's in the script. It says to do this. How do we do this? But he never lets up for those human moments. And so, at times, the violence of this movie is very exciting, and I get into it in the way I would an action movie. It never has the satire of Verhoeven, but it's exciting. At other times, though, I do feel pummeled by this movie because it feels as much of an automaton with the way
2: that it's doing the action as Robocop. Yeah, I find it hard to make a sequel to satire. Robocop was a brilliant satire. To keep doing it feels at best redundant you have to up your game. Here, they've upped the stakes by, yeah, child killer, lethal drugs. I just don't think they're doing anything better than what Vorhoven did, or even competently. I don't think it's an exciting action movie. I don't think I'm laughing, and it's pretty much at this point, once they get a hold of RoboCop and tear him into pieces, that I don't have anyone to root for anymore. I'm rooting for RoboCop,
1: but this is where I think, honestly, and Jacob, you talked about the writer's strike, and I forgot about that we talk about that so often when we do movies of this era. It makes so much sense. This movie needed another goddamn draft. It needed some focus because RoboCop gets dismembered. They're not even sure if they're going to fix him. He's their only success. I don't know why they wouldn't, because they have nothing else to show. Or I don't know why they wouldn't take his brain and put it in RoboCop 2.
2: Right, there you go. They're looking for candidates. There it is.
1: But instead, they do fix him, but they program him to be PC. Now, in Verhoeven's hands, perhaps this could have been the satire, and this could have played out. But it's a... 20-minute diversion of RoboCop misquoting truisms and not shooting violent criminals and then pulling out his gun and shooting a outline around a smoker and thank you for not smoking. Now, Stuart, you said you weren't laughing. I'm laughing. I am laughing at the stupidity of it. It's funny. It is not as clever as Verhoeven. It's not as smart as Verhoeven, but it's funny. We'll agree
2: to disagree.
3: Arnie, you say that this needed another rewrite. I I think they, whatever writing resources they have, they were to fix the Frank Miller script, not to try to make this more coherent. They didn't have time. They just had to repair the damage he had done. But yeah, this stuff seems to be from his script and this does seem very Frank Miller to me you know yeah. this skewering of political correctness I also like you know we talked about kind of this nod and this wink to sequels with you know these different versions of RoboCop 2 and you know oh you want this to be more kid friendly let's put a kid in here here is the test screening here's the test audience hey what do you guys want in RoboCop and it really waters them down I really feel like maybe they could have had a smart satire on sequels in this film there's definitely hints at it and you know what this is juvenile and I find Frank Miller very juvenile, but I do find a lot of laughs here, you know. Isn't the moon lovely tonight? There is no moon. It's the day. Well, it's the thought that counts. I kind of do like Weller's very robotic delivery of all these corny lines here.
1: Yeah, I do like that. It just, it doesn't fit in this movie. This movie feels like it's trying to take on way too much. The last one was pretty focused. It took on human-machine interactions, corporate culture, and criminals. But this one, it's taking on all of that, plus adding in this PC bit and trying to put a cap on the human side of Murphy and drug addiction. It's too many topics. It's trying to be a jack of all trades and it ends up being the master of none. Well, Arnie, you say
3: this part doesn't fit. I, I'm wondering what part does fit. I'm, I am looking for some kind of coherent plot in this film. They don't want Robocop, but they're putting them back together for some reason. Throw some more directives. There's this drug storyline going throughout. They want to make another Robocop. I don't really know what's going on in this film. I, I feel like it's almost a series of skits. It's like, well, we have these six different drafts. Let's kind of just pull the best parts from it.
2: The skeleton is is the original movie. I mean, roughly in the same amount of time that Murphy the cop was gunned down and rebuilt as Robocop, Robocop is torn apart and rebuilt as PC Cop. They're trying to follow that formula, but it's quite a different feel to go from a man finding out that he's been turned into a fascist police enforcement robot cyborg to a clown and that we have all this fish out of water stuff that you guys like and that i want to tear my hair out during every scene of i hate this stuff i hope when he runs to the transformer to fry himself (laughs) that it finishes it off i mean i wish it could erase my memory of this i think that this has been a horrible retelling of the first movie and I think the problem
1: is that this PC thing goes away too quickly to the point where I don't think it should have been in there at all. I'm not saying it should have been longer, but it's very quick that he goes out and fries his circuitry. And there's been so much happening here. In a way, it's ill-defined. But if I squint, I could see this as now Murphy is self-determining. I put that in my plot summary. He no longer has any directives. He chooses his own path from now on. Nobody programs RoboCop.
3: Like Stuart was saying, it's a more extreme version of one. You know, in that one, it's about discovering he's Murphy and embracing that. Now he's just doing that more to the extreme. He's able to get rid of all his directives. He doesn't even have a directive four holding him back now.
1: But in the last one, that was the movie. He's the whole movie doing that. In this one, it's literally 10 minutes... He fries himself, and now we got to get back to the main plot of Kane, Nuke, and Robocop 2.
2: That's what they care about in this movie, whether it's through rewriting or whatever. What becomes clear is that Robocop 2 is far more interesting to them than Robocop 1.0, and that's too bad because Weller was the heart of the movie, and with him largely absent from it, I just don't care about Kane and whether he gets in the robot or not, and the evil scientist woman that's going to kill him. And then try to make him into her I mean who thought that was a good idea I cannot follow the logic of why She thinks putting this Timothy Leary into a robot Is going to be more controllable
1: Because she can dangle the drugs She
2: thinks the drugs will keep him controllable Do you think that we would have Better police forces If they were all stoned and high
1: (laughs) Well, depends on the drug. If they all used cocaine, according to Jordan Belfort, that'll keep them sharper between the ears and more alert behind the wheel.
2: (laughs) Maybe I'm naive. Maybe this is what's going on. I, I don't know. But I find this logic suspicious, to say the least. And I would buy into it if they sold it. But they really don't. One scene of her holding a vial of nuke is not going to have me convinced that this is the best way forward for OCP's law enforcement program. It just doesn't make any sense.
3: Yeah, the only reason she wants to get a criminal is because they'll welcome the power of the suit and embrace it and not reject it. Like, this is a psychiatrist, and that is her logic here. It, again, this is written by someone that hates a psychologist. They had a bad run in at 12 with one.
1: I don't know. I think that you could have done better by, like, finding someone Somebody who's really smart but in a crippled body. I think, like, Stephen Hawking might like to be RoboCop 2 or something.
2: Sure, but Frank Miller wanted the therapist to be the villain. I mean, the point is that these people think that they know better than other people how the mind works, and that's why she must punish. I mean, again, I think she's the real villain here. She is definitely
1: a big villain. Frank Miller, you mentioned him. We need to probably call out he has a cameo in this film as Nuke Maker Frank. ...who makes the Blue Velvet. Oh, right. But RoboCop 2, I like the concept. Just in... If you're telling me that there's going to be a second RoboCop... ...we're going to call him RoboCop 2... ...he's going to be bigger, he's going to be more powerful... ...and eventually he's going to go bad... ...and RoboCop has to stop him... ...I could go with that as a concept... ...but I really just can't click with anything about RoboCop 2. The robot design... ...it's hard for me even to pinpoint. They didn't get Phil Tippett back, obviously... If I tried to, I couldn't sketch an outline of RoboCop 2. It's always moving and twisting and changing and transforming, and I don't know what I'm looking at with this.
3: We all agree, right, what the worst thing about this design is, is that they try to incorporate that CGI face. Lawnmower Man face? Yes! I haven't seen Lawnmower Man. I know there's a CGI face in it. We'll get there with Stephen King, but yes.
1: This year... <laughs> You're going to be thinking of Kane when you see Lawnmower Man, because <laughs> I was thinking of Job when I saw Kane.
2: All I'm going to say is, in 1990, that would have been very cool, but it is the most dated aspect of the design. I'm with you, Arnie. I think the only thing we get from it is it's bigger, and because they only took his brain and his spinal column and his eyes, you know, they've only got that part of him, they don't have to follow the human form. Unlike Robocop, where it was humanoid, this doesn't necessarily feel like a giant person. There is One thing about RoboCop
1: 2 that gives me a big smile, I don't know if you guys picked up on it, I mentioned last time as a computer nerd, I was noticing when they'd boot up RoboCop, they'd have all those DOS commands, Command COM and BIOS and all that. Well, RoboCop 2 he's an apple
3: did they have an apple
1: did they have the smiley face as he booted up instead of the smiley face they have a skull but he has a GUI, and this was before windows he's got like the file and edit menu and everything he is apple like, he's not even macintosh because i think this was before <laughs> macintosh maybe he was Elisa.
3: i find it hilarious that there is like a nuke dispenser like there's this little opening like how did she get that by the tech guy <laughs> but she's like no 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 just put this little canister it's gonna come out and grab something just put it in there it, uh, you don't need to know why like that is the most mind-boggling thing it is meant to inject drugs and it was designed that way
2: we need to have seen that scene i could go along with the goofiness of the idea that a robot could be a junkie if we had that testing moment where they saw what the drug did on robotics, and they sold it to me. But we never see that. So it just ends up feeling like this half-baked concept that just does not work. They could have sold this to me if they had taken the time in the writing, but I don't buy it as presented.
1: I agree. One thing that I just praised Verhoeven for again and again was how he built this world. And I believed, I truthfully believed the way Verhoeven said it, that... There could be a world with Ed 209s walking the streets telling me I have 20 seconds to comply. I could see that. What I can't see is a world of RoboCop 2s. How is he supposed to read Miranda? He can't even fucking talk. Ed 209 could talk. He can't talk? No, he just roars.
3: Yeah, he literally roars at one point. Yeah, never says a word.
2: I didn't think that was because he couldn't. I just thought he was stoned.
3: (laughs) No, he never got his
1: drugs in this.
2: If he spoke... I would have gone with it a little more. No, he
1: never got the drugs, and he never speaks. And that really hurts it as being cane. How is this cane? It's just a drug-addled thing. Yes, he does go back, and Hob has taken over, and Kane's girlfriend is now Hobbes' second-in-command. The way Frank Miller writes it, I wouldn't be betting that she's not doing sexual things for the 12-year-old boy.
3: No, no, no. None of this is in Miller's. There's no drug storyline, even. It's even more sparse than uh, the scattered ideas in this film. Oh, wow.
1: I look forward to our books and nachos, which will be posted in three days. So I have to learn quickly. But (laughs) he does go after them and guns them all down, giving the child a tender scene with robocop it starts off can't shoot a kid can you fucker and ends with dying's really gonna suck but i guess you'd know that
3: (laughs) here's the thing like if this was about a drug cult leader okay now you become this robot maybe you've transcended to this superior form this is what you want all your people to do have the cop You know, RoboCop 2, go out and start recruiting gangs, and this, you could become like me. I mean, there's so much more you could do here, but there's so little of RoboCop 2 in this film when he finally
1: shows up. It undermines Kane as a character. Kane was this weird, quirky, Malkovich-like drug lord, but once he becomes RoboCop 2, he just becomes a dumber version of ED-209. Everything you've built up in Cain is robbed when you take away his body. It should be the opposite. It should be, now that he has this power, he goes back and takes over his gang or something like that. He he was a nuke lord. He could get nuke. He doesn't need this psychologist to
2: get nuke. He makes nuke. Right. That's what doesn't make any sense. He goes back, he kills everyone i presume because he feels like they should have come rescued him from the hospital that's the only motivation
3: well no they actually send him did they come with a plot to kill the mayor so this whole time there is a telethon going on and again i'm laughing you got this guy playing the fiddle with his head between his legs born to be wild on a fiddle rocks this totally awful telethon and hob and angie make a secret deal to help the city and let them keep selling meanwhile this is so convoluted meanwhile ocp is like okay we know the mayor is gonna make a deal to save the city so we got to send robocop 2 out to kill him so that is why they finally merged together and there's this whole shootout
1: yeah the only way they could kill the mayor is to take this giant not at all subtle robot don't they have like a ninja or something they could use for these types of things
2: next
3: week next week (laughs)
1: I know, we'll get there
2: Well, they're discrediting him Not only is he going to die But he's going to die taking a payout And again, this is why I say he's not a good guy He is taking a payoff from drug dealers He's essentially turning a blind eye It's the funniest line in this But, you know, he's like These people are criminals, they're drug dealers And he's like, I don't like labels you know. (laughs) But he is going forward on a morally suspect plan To get the money he needs to pay off OCP Not realizing that, yeah, OCP knows about this meeting And is using this meeting as an opportunity to shame him further by killing him in this way.
1: But they didn't know about this meeting. They didn't know who was giving the mayor the money. They just sent RoboCop 2 after the mayor. Not necessarily at this meeting. They specifically say, we don't know who's giving him the money.
2: Oh, okay. Well, it gets a little confusing. But (laughs) they happen to send the guy in the suit that he can now, yes, kill all of his henchmen that, again, I say he only is killing Angie because she didn't come and rescue him when he was in the hospital before he was put in the suit. He doesn't like being in the suit. I guess that's what we're finding out. The doctor was wrong. Psychologically speaking, he hasn't taken to being a cyborg at all.
1: I don't know. We'd know this if Kane could speak, but instead, <laughs> we get the scene with Angie where Cain extends his claw. Angie starts to fondle it and is like, it'll take some getting used to, but it could be be fun and then just out of nowhere he roars grabs her by the head and shakes her like a ragdoll till she's dead why you're projecting that Kane doesn't like being a robot? I don't fucking know. Yeah,
3: I think we're supposed to believe that somehow Kane knew that Angie betrayed him. That is a leap of logic here. How would he know that? He ended up in a hospital, and then the psychiatrist walked in and had him killed.
2: Yeah, he didn't have much time to be rescued. I'm not sure how they would have done it if they had even attempted it. It would have been too late, but whatever. The whole point of this, all of this is a riff on King Kong, right? Like, it's just because we want to see the big monkey tear free of the chains at the end and go on a rampage this is the warm-up but basically we want to see this thing go crazy so that robocop can restore order robocop remember him he's actually in this film towards the end
1: yeah, well, we also want to think of Cain as the worst villain ever because he kills a child, never mind that the child was the second worst villain ever. A cop-killing child.
2: Yeah, it's weird. They just don't know how to play this. That's why I ultimately don't like this characterization. Maybe someone could have written a child killer that you could go along with, but, you know, sometimes he looks away and Kane is showing him cut a man's stomach open and, and he seems squeamish, and then other times he's calling people bitch and mowing them down with mach- And they didn't know how straight to play it. And it shows.
1: So we got to get to this final showcase, the most empty press conference ever. (laughs) They're turning people away saying press only. And then they only let 20 people in. I guess they didn't have bloggers back then. But they're showing off Delta City and RoboCop 2. And of course, RoboCop 2 goes nuts and we need RoboCop to save him. And you're right, Stuart. I don't think I even noticed when I'm watching this. But RoboCop does disappear for a lot of this RoboCop 2 stuff. He shows up again to comfort dying Hob. But beyond that, we haven't seen him since he did kill Kane. I timed it. It's 27 minutes. But then he shows up here at the end. He's got the rail gun from the last one. I mean, that would work to blow up Ed 209, so it should work on Robocop 2, right?
3: He, like, just walks in. I don't even know how he knows... Robocop 2 is I guess he figured out Robocop 2 did the killing or something. I don't know. I don't know why a lot of things happen in this film.
1: No, he knows because he shows up in the aftermath and the kid says it was Kane.
3: Okay. And he knows Kane is in Robocop 2. I don't know. I just find it funny he like walks in with this giant rail gun.
2: Like, you know that's trouble. But you know, I would at least forgive the ineptitude of how they've gotten these two together if the fight were any good. And it is. It is not.
3: Yeah, it's pretty good.
2: It's pretty bad. They strain, they push the envelope of what you can do with stop motion, and it breaks. I think it's
1: as good as the Ed 209 stuff you were praising last time for its midnight movie feel. No, I think this time it just looks cheap.
3: No, this feels midnight movie to me. I mean, that's why I like this final fight.
1: I think, Stuart, you'll go with the same level of special effects in a movie you like that you'll diss in a movie you don't like.
2: Well, that is possible. I'm not going to say that that's not true, but I want to just say that I think these effects are worse, even though they clearly have more money.
3: It may be the way the animation is done. I mean, again, that last film, the way the little toe on Ed 209 kind of flips around in that final scene, and the baby crying with Ed 209. I think there was more creativity with the animators and how they did that. Warhoven just pretty much let them do what they needed to do. Here, it seems a little more rote. There's not that kind of creativity going on.
1: that and I just don't think the creature design for RoboCop 2 is that good. I think all of the new robots shown in this ain't got nothing on what Phil Tippett designed last time. It's harder to visualize. It makes less sense mechanically, and it's not as Fun to look at. It doesn't have the personality of ED-209 or Robocop 1.
2: Yeah, personality is what we're talking about. With ED-209 and Robocop, I didn't feel like it was two stop-motion things going at each other. Here, it just looks like dolls that have been stuck atop one on each other. It goes on much longer. It's far more complicated... And thus, it draws attention to itself. Whereas before, yeah, I felt like it just focused on the clumsiness of ED-209 in those stop-motion moments. And, and it passes quickly. Here, it just feels eternal.
1: One scene, though, I love is when they're in the elevator shaft and Kane comes running up it after a fall and he's using all four limbs to scale. I think that looks badass. That is the one scene in a bunch of not great effects that I think really
2: is cool. You're probably right. I'm not into the movie at this point, so it's hard to be energized by anything. But yeah, that was effective.
1: I'm also thinking Empire Strikes Back because it's a battle where they go out on a ledge And then take a big fall. It's a three-dimensional fight, much like Luke versus Vader in the Bespin scenes.
3: You know, this does seem like the more conventional action film ending. One of their concerns with the first film is they thought that shouldn't the fight with Ed 209, shouldn't that be the big final fight, not Robocop versus Dick? But, you know, they went with that, and I think it works for that film here. This is what you would expect, the two big robots fighting in Robocop 2. Yeah, why not? I don't mind this fight. It's cheesy. with the stop motion animation the way it looks I think part of it is there is only one brief scene in that first film where Robocop is stop motion most of it's just Ed 209 there's a lot more stop motion Robocop and Robocop 2 fighting
2: here which doesn't come off quite as well that's why I think that this fight is much worse is that it just does look like toys attacking one another and yeah I just don't care about this fight either again has Murphy Robocop and Kane really had a good battle before now I mean there was the truck chase where Robocop Robocop did finally
1: capture Kane.
2: Oh, you
3: mean you mean where they used Robocop as a motorcycle ramp? Yes. Ugh. Yeah
2: okay there was that i guess i just haven't seen kane he is so placid and passive that i just haven't seen him as an effective badass i haven't seen it seems like everyone else around him is doing the fighting and he's just sort of sitting there in the lotus position
3: hobb would have made a better robocop 2 than kane
2: yeah yeah seriously wouldn't that have been better as if like maybe
1: duffy if they just took his muscle and kane was still the mastermind but there was a his muscle in there kane was not the muscle
2: yeah i i vote for having the child in there i I think that would have been interesting and you could have killed him without so much sympathy because he's a giant robot at that point. But
1: the fight does end and Lewis, remember her? I mean, you say you forget <laughs> RoboCop. I really forgot Lewis was in this film till she shows up again and drives a truck into RoboCop 2 and doesn't really do much. And then she finally just uses a distraction holding up the nuke so RoboCop can ride him cowboy. This movie was filmed in Houston. That's true. Maybe they went to one of those bars with the mechanical bull and that's how they got their ending. But RoboCop rides the buck in RoboCop 2 till he can reach in and pull out the spinal column. That grossed me out as a kid. It, It puts life in perspective to realize all we are is a bunch of nerves that can be smashed into the ground.
3: Yeah, it's not that he just pulls it out. It's that he smashes that brain after. Words Again, the way it's shot, you know, I can see Verhoeven doing something real gratuitous here. This, though, it just comes off as violent to me and gross. It doesn't have the humor that I think Verhoeven would have brought to
2: it. Definitely not. And again, I'm wondering, how are they going to take down the real enemy? Because this is just their boddicker. This is just their sub-villain. Okay, yeah, this was the thing that gives you the big chase, but how are they going to handle the person that caused all these problems? The person that reprogrammed RoboCop 1 and the one that insisted on putting a criminal in RoboCop too. well you're just gonna i can just sense you're gonna complain because they do it off screen huh i do feel like it's an anticlimactic way of dumping it yeah it...
3: i can't believe this film ends the way it does yeah. i'm gonna say that like okay so we get johnson johnson's back he, his faces aren't as great in this one as the last one but he
1: did get the promotion i predicted he's now the yes. number two guy at ocp <laughs> because of all the murder
3: <laughs> and him and the old man they're like well we'll just blame it all on facts and have her arrested here's the crazy thing though the old man like this is the real villain This is like the CEO of the company who is masterminded all of this, just drives off. And like, what is Robocop's response? Patience, Lewis. We're only humans. it's like, this is a cynical ending. You can say what you want about Verhoeven, but this is a cynical movie. It's just like, eh, well, I guess we'll get them later. You know, they're so powerful and, you know, CEOs, we really can't touch them. Move it on,
0: end the film.
2: Yeah, it feels like a non-ending. Not only did they not address the concerns I had left over from RoboCop, I don't even think they concluded the movie that they did make. It just stopped. It's so abrupt. I could sue for Whiplash.
1: I don't think I needed another news break to tell me that Fax went to jail.
3: No, I got that Fax went to jail, but that the old man and Johnson, like, just drive off into the
1: sunset. Yeah. They're the villain who I'm assuming, it's been a long time and I've only seen it once, but I'm assuming they're going to be back, or at
2: least the old man, for RoboCop 3. Right, that's what I'm giving it, is that this is a trilogy, so we're going to see OCP brought down next time. I guess. I mean,
1: maybe not, but I think that that would probably be the thinking, is that all the RoboCop movies would have OCP run by the old man as some kind of villain. I think that taking down OCP would be concluding the RoboCop story, in my mind. But would we want to get there? Let's see how this one fared. Jacob Stewart, and I'm in more suspense than I was last week, do you recommend RoboCop 2? Jacob.
3: I find this movie fascinating on a academic level, like comparing directors. You know, a lot of times we talk, oh, the director did this and that. I'm like, well, you know, there's a script and there's this and that. I don't know how much of it you could put on the director, but here I feel like you can really get a feel what a director could bring or not bring to a film, you know, where Verhoeven, you know, I think he saw something in this kind of corny concept of a robot cop, and he really brought the heart out in that, and he saw this satire, you know, the way. The way he decided to film the violence and you know he really brought something out in that film and whereas with curse you, you know arnie you're saying he sounds like more of a technical director here's what it says on the script how am i going to get that done you know the way he shoots the violence the way i felt robocop's motions were shot it, it just comes off also different in this film but you know what it fascinates me as an academic but i'm not going to give it a recommend or not recommend based on that you know what Robocop could have been Robocop 2 is it it is that cheesy midnight horror action film and I enjoy it on that level it is unfocused it's got a lot of targets and it's always moving from who it's going to satirize and make fun of and you know I kind of admire for how tasteless it is with this Hob character and how they took this excessive violence and just made it more gruesome here it's not excessive but it just feels like a more violent film and you know I kind of admire how dark they took this one it feels much darker than that first film even though that other one had more blood and guts in it. So, you know what? The action works for me here. Is it a coherent plot? No. It's a mess of a script. It's obvious that six different people wrote this script and they finally had a shoot and there's a strike
2: going on. But
3: what we do get in the end, it's not great. It's a weak recommend, but, you know, it works for me as a kind of funny action film.
2: Stuart. What I recommend is that you go to the next theater, if this were 1990, and go watch Total Recall because Because that is a worthy follow-up to the spirit of what was so laudable in RoboCop. None of that spirit is here. Yeah, they go through the motions. They do all of the riffs. And all the jokes are there. All the beats are there. They don't do any of it well. Not only does it not live up to RoboCop, it's not even good. Now, I will say this. I didn't hate this movie. I think that if you just want to love RoboCop, if you'd rather have... Weak RoboCop, then no RoboCop, then this will do in a pinch. But honestly, I can't see why this is necessary for anybody. Why not just watch RoboCop again? I mean, I'm back to my reviews for Red 2 or Kick-Ass 2. It's very difficult to make a sequel to a satire. RoboCop did it so well. Anything else in its wake would feel redundant unless they brought something new and game-changing to the table. They didn't, and so not recommend.
1: I recommended Red 2. I recommended Kick-Ass 2. I recommend Robocop 2. It's a weak recommend. And I agree with you, Stuart. This film is unnecessary, but I do like Robocop so much from the first one. And this is, in my mind, a continuation of the themes. It's just not as smart or as sharp. It is a echo. Like a Xerox copy that just isn't as sharp as the original. But there are jokes that I never find them to be smart jokes, but I still laugh at the jokes. And there are performances that I enjoy. Sadly, it's not Nancy Allen or Peter Weller. I like Tom Noonan as Kane when he's human. I think he gives this wonderfully mellow performance. I like Hob because I think he comes off as malevolent. He never mugs for the camera or does any of those child acts tells. We didn't talk about Officer Duffy, but it's that guy. I don't even know his real name, but he's been in everything, (laughs) and he's good in this. I like some of the concepts. I wish that the design for the characters and robots was better. I wish that the script was tighter and more focused. I wish that the jokes were funnier. Even the score isn't as good this time around. There's a pretty good march to it, but really, I don't know why Kirsch picked the composer he did for this but it's not good i don't know if basil was busy doing other stuff
3: did they even use the same theme i noticed during the end credits it wasn't even the robocop theme no
1: they didn't they had a new march for this one why would you
3: to me an iconic theme i think it's a great theme you were humming it all last week so weird to change that
1: yeah i'm still humming it this week after this one but instead they brought in leonard rosenman I don't know this guy, but he's done a ton of stuff, but this music is fairly forgettable to me, beyond just the main march. The music here is actually a distraction from the film a lot of the time. I wish that they would have reprised Basil's stuff, and I'm hoping, since Basil's back for part three, if we don't get Peter Weller back, at least we'll get back the Robocop march but I still had a good time watching this movie. It's a weak recommend, but yeah, it's definitely recommendable. In 1990, I walked out of theaters going, I don't know what all those critics
2: were bitching about. And now,
1: all right, I know what the critics were bitching about. I just don't agree.
2: And I remember why I forgot everything about RoboCop 2. It just, there's nothing here to hold on to. I'll stick with the original. I know why I didn't go on to RoboCop 3, but I guess I will now. And I'll admit I didn't go on to RoboCop 3 either.
1: After this, I didn't see RoboCop 3 until video and I only half paid attention. This will be my first time actually sitting down to watch RoboCop 3.
3: Yeah, I've actually seen RoboCop 3. It's the second most seen RoboCop movie for me after 1. I don't remember much about it though. <laughs> <laughs> Were you on nuke? <laughs> I saw RoboCop 2 once, and I remembered most of it. 3, I just know there's a robo-ninja in
1: it. Yeah, I remember a ninja. (laughs) That is all I remember is a ninja and not Peter Weller. And a jetpack.
2: Yeah, that's all that I know about it is that Orion went bankrupt and there's no Peter Weller. So I know that what I'm going to get, well, it ain't going to be RoboCop. Maybe it'll be better than RoboCop 2. We'll have to get there. And so next week we shall. Well,
1: Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. Until next time, I am so glad we had this chance to dialogue.
2: I have to go.
0: Somewhere there is a crime happening. Thank you for joining us for Now Playing's RoboCop Retrospective Series. Bitches leave. Dead or Alive, you're going to nowplayingpodcast.com each week for a new movie review podcast. You have 20 seconds to comply. While there, join our forums to discuss this review with other listeners. Dead or Alive, you are coming with me. So give me your money and all of it. Don't fuck with me! Your support helps keep Now Playing on the air. The line's open, waiting for your pledge. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our homepage, NowPlayingPodcast.com. Well, we need all the help we can get, young man. It's only money. You can also find a link to our cafe press store where you can buy t shirts, coffee mugs, teddy bears, and much more.
3: I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now Playing is edited by Heath, Phil, Dylan, and Arnie. They'll fix you. They fixed everything. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. Keep him talking. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. Though you may think you're having fun now, you only hurt the one you love. The movies discussed in this series are the properties of their respective trademark holders and no infringement is intended.
1: It's a free society. Except there ain't nothing free, cause there's no guarantees, you know. <laughs>
2: You're on your own. <laughs> there's a lot of jungle. <laughs>
0: now playing is not affiliated with Orion Pictures, Metro, Goldwyn, Mayer, Columbia Pictures, Fireworks Entertainment, or any other creative entity involved with these films. We
2: did. What we had to do.
0: Now playing is a Venganza Media Production Copyright 2014. All rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: Okay, let's get out of
1: here. Good night, sweet prince. (laughs) Watching Smallville has made me realize how much John Glover worked in the 80s. Summer
2: 1990 was his summer. I tell you, between Die Hard 2, Gremlins 2, and this movie, he was all over the cinema. He was bigger than Arnold. He wasn't in Die Hard 2. Yeah, he was. No, he wasn't. I'm on his IMDb page. He was in The Plane. No, that's the other guy. What are you talking about?
1: John Glover is not Templeton Peck from Ghostbusters.
2: I don't know who Templeton Peck is. The reporter from Die Hard? Yeah. Yeah, not John Glover. Who was he in Die Hard? He wasn't in Die Hard. Oh, he wasn't. No. Oh.
3: Yeah, that's Peck. He he, he was uh, Dr. Woodrow in uh, Batman and Robin.
2: Okay, I'm very confused. I thought it was all the same person.
3: No. No summer for you, John
1: Glover. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Taken away. (laughs) You're only
3: in two films, not three.
1: You're worthless. When when did Scrooge come out? That was 88. So nope, no good. He
3: only had 2 in 90. Doesn't get the trifecta.
1: Well, he was in El Diablo and La Law and an Enemy of the People that year. Oh yeah, big ones. <laughs> <laughs> 2 TV movies and a TV series.
2: Created as a different version of new, kind of like what they've done to Mountain Dew. Have you seen what they've done to Mountain Dew? <laughs>
1: I'm drinking some Code Red right now.
2: They're like rainbow colors now. How did that happen? I was in a 7-Eleven the other day, and I was like, how the hell did Mountain Dew? I thought it was green. I thought it was simple. <laughs> and now there are nine different versions.
3: Obviously, you're not a gamer, because that's who their market is.
1: <laughs> I gotcha. All right. <laughs> and there are performances that I enjoy. Sadly, it's not Nancy Allen or Peter Weller. But I like Tom Kane, uh, Tom Kane. Tom <laughs> Kane that's Yoda